Hey, and welcome to Game Talk, episode 29. I'm your host, Ahmed Mion. I'm joined by Michael. Hello. And Connor. Hey, guys. The first thing we want to talk about today is Animal Crossing 2019. I don't think it has a title yet, but this is the first console Animal Crossing we're going to get in quite quite some time now. I'm not myself a huge Animal Crossing fan. I mean, I just straight up haven't played it too much, but I know you two, Michael and Connor, you're, you guys are huge Animal Crossing fans. And Animal Crossing has a gigantic, really passionate fan base. So I just kind of wanted to bring that game up and see what you guys thought of it. Right, yeah. So uh, just for people who are not not into Animal Crossing, it's basically a life simulation game, kind of like The Sims, but on a, a smaller scale. You control one character, and you just kind of walk around. It's a third-person game, and you walk around your town, and you plant flowers, you talk to your neighbors, you can uh, earn a little bit of money and pay off your house loan, buy furniture to decorate your house kind of decorate your town. It's just kind of a, a very comf- comfy kind of game. It's like very it's a, zen. I also want to make yeah. a question. It's more isometric in its kind of viewpoint instead of third person. Like, it's not over the shoulder. You right. right. It's kind of top down. I wouldn't yeah, say isometric. Top down. Um, and just from my perspective, like, all the things you listed, like taking care of your garden, talking to your neighbor, they seem like very mundane things, but Animal Crossing seems to make them endearing just yeah like based off of its characters and animation right. just how it's styled i guess it's right. a very it's kinda... boring game it when you like talk about it, it's like yeah i went and played animal crossing in gardens for like an hour but when you actually do it or you fish for an hour it's, it's just kind of flows together it's zen you get so yeah, yeah. into it that you kind of forget you're actually playing animal crossing you just kind of live in this small town for the duration of you playing like it's not like, oh, I, I have to catch these many fish. Like, it's not like a goal that's tedious or a grind. It's more like, oh, I'm playing Animal Crossing. What, you know, I live in this small town. What do I feel like doing today? You know, uh, let's go see what's at the store furniture wise. See if they have anything I like. Let's go maybe do some fishing. You so uh, from an outsider's perspective, does any of it get repetitive ever? Uh, I mean, it can. Like, if you're if you're trying to make a ton of money, then like the fishing, which is usually the fastest way, or it's how I always do it, that can get a little repetitive. But overall, that's just not the point. The yeah, like there's no there's no goal really. I mean, you set your own goals, but it, I guess if Minecraft gets repetitive to you, it's kind of at okay, the same. Okay, I understand. Use your set goals. Gotcha. Okay. So, like, what's so special about this new one? Like, do do new Animal Crossings, like, what new features do they add between games? Because just from an outsider's perspective, they all kind of seem the same to me. Yeah, by and large, they're all pretty much the same. Um, the biggest innovation was between uh, the one on the Wii and the one on the 3DS. On the 3DS, you actually get to be mayor of the town, which was a pretty big shift. Yeah, that was... So you uh, can... They also changed the graphic style a little bit. Right, yeah. Characters. Yeah, the game always looks better with each iteration, in my opinion. And they kind of change the dialogue for the characters and everything and add new villagers you can get. Yeah, personality types. Because every villager has a personality type. Like, some will be real snooty. Some will be, you know, your laid-back stoner surfer. It's always endearing to find someone new. It's like, you're new to my town. What do you like? Are you going to be mean to me? (laughs) And they definitely, they've kind of gotten, this is kind of a point of contention in Animal Crossing, but uh, the villagers have gotten less rude over the games. Rude? As the series goes on. Yeah, the uh, 
in the GameCube Animal Crossing game, they were kind of rude. They would like be mean to you and stuff. Like just just like people. That's kind of weird. They weren't like just cuddly like teddy bears almost. I see. Like, do you know what I mean, Michael? Yeah, you, you say could that make better? them angry, and then they wouldn't talk for, to you for days upon end. Or they'd see you and just get all all huffy. Yeah, or they'd like they like kind of make fun of you for stuff and yeah, just little things like that. Nothing. They weren't mean, mean. They were just kind of like play mean. Yeah, you'd walk up to them with a beast thing, and they'd be like, they'd make fun of your parents. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the biggest innovation, though, like we were talking about, the biggest innovation in uh, New Leaf was that you got to be mayor, which lets you do things like install benches or build bridges in your town, just like little public works projects. Okay, so, like, kind of adding city building kind of elements to it? Uh, city building, sort of, more like decoration than anything else. Okay. And this is the first uh, Animal Crossing on console since the Wii one, right? Right. The Wii, like, U, did the Wii U didn't get one. get one. The Wii U got a spinoff game called Amiibo Festival that was bad. I'm sure that's exactly what people, what Animal Crossing fans wanted. I'm being sarcastic. Yeah, it's, it's not at all. But uh, this new one, I think, I don't know. Have we heard anything about it? We just got the release. We just know it exists. Window, yeah, right? We know yeah, it like there's not even any strong rumors. There are some rumors that it's going to be coming out early next year, but we so, don't know anything gameplay was. Let me give you like an interesting hypothetical. Nintendo has kind of been, I don't know, they've kind of been on a streak of like turning their main franchises on their head, especially like with Zelda. Do you think they're going to do something similar with Animal Crossing? Or is that like a tried and true, like, I'm not they sure Animal would never Crossing, mess with that? I'm not sure Animal Crossing has enough games to have gotten stale. Kind of like yeah. the others. Like, Mario and Zelda had so many games that, like, they needed shaken up, kind of. And I'm just not sure Animal Crossing has that storied history. You know, the first yeah. one, the first one released in North America was on the GameCube. Yeah, and plus from my perspective, Animal Crossing just seems like comfort food. Like, it's something you want to relax with, something familiar, you know? Yeah, I'm not I sure. Th- I don't think fans want that, really. There's no history for it to harken back to because the games just haven't changed that much. So they can't really do what Breath of the Wild did and, like, re-examine the series mm-hmm. from the beginning. So I don't really know. what. Th- there are a couple of community features I think they could add that would be nice, like the ability to visit a friend's town when they're not playing. I think that would be huge. And right, so are there are there any multiplayer features? There are. Games? You can um you can like visit each other's towns and just generally hang out and like fish together and stuff. But uh the multiplayer's always been really restrictive in Animal Crossing. You can't like you for example, you can't make any donations to your museum when you're in multiplayer, which just kind of seems arbitrary. So yeah, the multiplayer's always been kind of lacking. There's not it's not really a good multiplayer experience to begin with. Like you can see each other's houses and stuff and like the game shares your house with people without you actually playing multiplayer. If you let it like it has a system for that, which is nice, but like really there's nothing to do together. There's no multiplayer aspect. You're just playing a single player game, except there's fewer things you can do and you can see another player. So with the switch being so ideal for, couch co-op do you think they'll utilize like the joy cons maybe you could each snap one off and like run around in the town similar to pokemon let's go or something like that i can't imagine them doing that because like if you know if they wanted to they could have done that on the gamecube one i just don't i don't see the point i think it would be annoying more than i I, they might but i think it'd be weird because you have so much player customization and stuff so like 
and you travel around this town and all. So like sharing a screen would just be annoying. Yeah. Okay. So let me just ask this uh, of both of you being longtime fans of Animal Crossing. Are there specific things you would like them to change or add to this game? Uh, I definitely want them to improve multiplayer, but other than that, not really. I mean, I'm pretty sure they got rid of grass deterioration in City Folk with uh, uh, New Leaf, but I feel like they need to shake it up in terms of, you know, money. Like, it's there's only one tried and true method to really get money quickly, and that is fishing, because the fish are worth insane amounts if you're good at it. But yeah, that's an yeah, that's another issue. Is making money's just not that fun. Yeah, making like making money sucks. Is it just slow? It's very slow. Yeah, it's it's not like I don't think it's really the developer's intention for you to like sit down and try to grind out a ton of money, but like as a gamer that's that's what a lot yeah. of people kind of gravitate towards. Oh god, could you guys imagine if they added like microtransactions to speed it up or something? I can't imagine them doing that. They didn't even do that in the mobile app. Yeah, that would be the worst. But yeah, I don't think Nintendo will do that. So what are your guys' favorite Animal Crossing games? I, I think mine is still the first one. Um, there are a couple features they took out after the first one, like the sassy villagers and uh, kind of more three-dimensional towns, like there were hills and stuff. Was and the first one on GameCube? The first one was originally on N64, but when it came to North America, it was ported to GameCube. Yeah. I see, okay. But... I feel like the first one's my favorite, but I have a special place in my heart for City Folk and some of the subplots that they put in that, especially subplots. The, the coffee shop plot, or I want to say like I want to say it's almost like a side quest almost. Well, it's all side quests, yeah. But like, basically, it's just a character that you visit, and like they have a whole kind of story that happens as long as you keep visiting them yeah. and doing stuff for them. That happens. And it happens like over days. Yeah. You have to just visit there every day. If you don't show up a day or you like insult them, they don't instantly shut it down. They have to start all over again. It was very creative in the way they did it. Um, how similar is Stardew Valley to Animal Crossing? I wouldn't say very because like really? in Stardew okay. Valley, you're, you're kind of trying to make money. They're both, they have similar, feels to them but gameplay wise they're very different like there's no farming in animal yeah, crossing there's no, there's no um really huh. really i always thought there was oh. you can grow trees like you can have an orchard but like there's no crops or anything there's also really and, like, no like day system is it possible to beat one of these games or is it just one of those things that you just play forever i mean the overarching goal is to pay off your house really and like every time you pay off your house you get to make it bigger and reaching the biggest house is generally where a lot of people would say that they beat the game. But on top of that, like the game keeps track of all the fish you've caught, so you can catch every fish and donate every fish to the museum, catch every bug and donate every bug to the museum, uh, find every uh, fossil and donate it to the museum, find every painting and donate it to the museum. That's so um, a lot of it hinges on like 100% collectability. Yeah. A little bit, yeah. And yeah, if you want to sit down and like treat Animal Crossing like a game you're going to beat. Uh, my girlfriend actually is really obsessed with 100%ing New Leaf. And like she's down to um, when you buy an item in the game, it gets added to what's called your catalog, which just means you could buy it again. No matter like whether or not it's in the store, you could always buy it again. And she wants to get every single item in the game in her catalog. I see. And so, like, how long would it take to 100% uh, in Animal been, Crossing on on average? She has hundreds of hours. I would say she's been Jeez. playing... Yeah, she's been playing since her freshman year of high school, I think, and she's a 
sophomore in college right now. <laughs> like God. it takes like, to complete your fishing catalog, assuming you catch every fish available to certain month. Or it would take a it year. It takes a year. Like yeah. there are certain fish that only appear at a That's certain crazy. time in a certain season. Same with insects. So to those like uh, obsessive compulsive types that have to hundred percent this game, they would get a lot out of it. I'm assuming a lot of mileage. There's yeah. so much, so uh, much uh, to collect. Yeah, definitely a lot of mileage out of Animal Crossing. And paintings, paintings will take you so long to get. Like even in cat, like me casually playing Animal Crossing, the original one, I had in my museum like one or two paintings total. And one thing, Animal Crossing, like. In Stardew Valley, I eventually hit a point where I just had so much money that, like, there wasn't a game anymore. Like, you know, you could just automate stuff. And Animal Crossing, really, there's no progression. Like, your your character doesn't, like, snowball. There's no positive feedback loop to, like, get more money, really. Like, you learn better ways to get money. And you can, like, invest in turnips, which are basically the game's play on stock. But overall there's no way to like multiply your money like you can in stardew valley yeah there's no automation you get on every day you go you run out you fish you go talk to people see i i think that's really interesting the thing you said about a lack of positive feedback because i actually had the 3ds animal crossing and i played it for a while like several hours but then i eventually i, I mean i wasn't bored but i just wasn't engaged enough to continue i think it might have been because of that lack of positive feedback i don't know well, I meant, like, a positive feedback loop, like how, like, killstreaks right. and call it, yeah. That's what I'm referring to. Okay. Usually, like, getting one of those, even if it's, like, an achievement or something, really kind of hits my brain with dopamine and motivates me to continue. Right, and Animal Crossing just doesn't really have that. Like, when you pay off your loan, your character does, like, a little dance and gets happy. But overall, that's not what it's about. It's about, like, just chilling out and relaxing. And that's why I want the multiplayer to get expanded on, because, like, ideally, that's fun. Like, just having this virtual space where you can hang out with your friends. Right. And, like, relax. And, like, you know, hang out and talk about stuff. That would be not, amazing. And not get, you know, your legs cut off by Tom Nook Tom for Nook not paying your debt. Tom would never cut your legs yeah. off. Tom Nook works hard. Yeah, Tom Nook gets a bad rap. hard for his children his nephews or i don't even know what they are anymore he's very lean i think they're his nephews he's very lenient with you paying your uh debt back like he he doesn't you literally you any arrive debt in the town and he basically says oh you have no home here's a home i built it well yeah. and newly if he gives you a tent first in the original one <laughs> he's like oh yeah here's a home i built it for you you can pay me off whenever yep so i i i am Team Tom Nook. I think he gets a bad rap. I think he should be in Smash Bros. instead of Isabel. Isabel's so needy. She just wants you to fix the town constantly. Yeah, Tom Nook just wants you to, you know, support local businesses. He's a hardworking man. So going back to the idea of 100%ing an Animal Crossing game, I think that leads really well into our next segment, which is just 100%ing in general. The concept of 100%ing a game. Yeah, so I uh, I suggested this topic because, uh, well, first, 100%ing a game is to basically complete all the content the game has to offer, get every collectible, complete every challenge. And uh, it's not something I usually do. But uh, this past weekend, I went back and I played Spyro 3, which is a game, Spyro Year of the Dragon, a game I played a lot as a kid. 
And I went back and I just felt this need to 100% it for the first time ever. And I did that over the course of the weekend. And it was an immensely satisfying experience. So, um, yeah, I, uh, let's see. Spire Year of the Dragon has 149 eggs you have to collect, which are just like this game's equivalent of Power Moons from Mario Odyssey. And that's the best comparison, probably, because they're just kind of hidden around the map or you complete a task and you get one. They're, they're almost exactly like a Power Moon. Okay. And uh, you also, to 100% this game, there's another collectible called Gems. And this is the one I never got as a kid. They're much easier to find, but there's hundreds of them in each level, like usually like 600 per level. And they're like coins in Mario. But like, Mm -hmm. can you imagine playing Super Mario Odyssey? But it's like you have to collect every coin in the entire game to get your 100%. Yeah, that's crazy. Just in general, I feel like games maybe 10, 20 years ago, they were much more rewarding and you had much more incentive to 100%. And they were easier to 100% than games today. Like games today have so much bloat in them. It's just, I feel like a lot of them are a chore to 100%. Right. I mean, I can't even remember the last game I 100%ed. I 100%ed Odyssey. I think I 100%ed Saints Row 3, but it wasn't an official 100%. It was the, my files at 100%, 100%. Gotcha, yeah. yeah. The one game I... I remember truly 100%ing was Banjo-Kazooie. I collected every single jigsaw piece, every single musical note, I, every Jinjo. I did everything in the original Banjo-Kazooie. But, and I, like all of the health expansions got all the, I did everything in Banjo-Kazooie. But other than that, I don't think I really have 100%ed anything that I can think of right now. I think I much prefer to just, there's so many good games to play. I much prefer to just experience as much of them as i can rather than focus and hone in on one but i know a lot of people have the opposite opinion see that's the rich man's game Amit. you you don't understand uh when you're a kid you know when i was a kid like i got one game every like six months or something and that would just be like you know oh got super mario sunshine i guess i'm gonna get literally every drop of content out of this game that i can ironically that's the only 3d mario i haven't 100 percented but Yeah, I mean, like, I I get it. When I was a kid, like, I played N64 games, like, way more, like, one at a time. That's when I 100%ed Banjo-Kazooie. Nowadays, I can't ever imagine 100%ing anything. Yeah. But I think that's also due to, like, take, you know, I don't know, trying to think of a game. Just take Assassin's Creed or something, for example. Yeah, you can do all the missions and side missions, but they're also, like, dozens of inane collectibles, like the feathers or something in Assassin's Creed 2. And that's not a game that's, like, intended to be 100%ed, I feel like. Like, it's just not fun. Right, like, I think platformers, 3D platformers, do the whole collect-a-thon 100% thing the best. Right, like, because that's Mario- kind of the whole point. Super Mario Odyssey was a joy start to finish to 100%, but I would never, ever sit down in 100% Breath of the Wild, even though I think between those two, I like Breath of the Wild more. Yeah, like Breath of the just open world hundred percenting is just more of a chore than it is a pleasure. Like with even with Mario Odyssey to me, collecting like what nine hundred moons just seems absurd to me. Granted, they are all like really well designed, See, yeah, most I, for the most part. But just I like I just wanted more Mario. Like I didn't hundred, I didn't sit down and tell myself like I'm gonna hundred percent Mario Odyssey. I just kept sitting down and thinking to myself, you know what, I want to play Mario Odyssey right now. And then there were moons to find, and I did them. Michael, were you going to say something? I, I can say the last, like, like soft 100% things where, like, in every playthrough of Mass Effect I do, I make it a, something 
that I must do is to complete the entire quest log in every Mass Effect game. Like, don't you speedrun Mass Effect? Yeah, speedrun three. I want to get into one, but that's a whole other story. But you don't com- complete the entire quest log when you speedrun, do you? No. Hundred <laughs> percenting Mass Effect three would probably take around twelve hours. Really? At a speedrun pace, yeah. That brief, so nothing. Yeah. <laughs> With all the cutscene skips, probably. See, I think I put like twenty to thirty hours into each Mass Effect individually. Yeah. Remembering right? Like I know for a fact that Earth. The final level of Mass Effect Three is at least half an hour of cutscenes, even with cutscene with our cutscene skips that we kind of cheat, edit an I and I in. Mm-hmm. Like wow. it's ridiculous. But like, what would constitute hundred percenting a Mass Effect game? Like, are there are there collectibles in Mass? Effect? I can't yes, even remember. There are, but you don't have to get all of them, and they aren't tracked past a certain point. Like in Mass Effect One, you have all the minerals and stuff, and you need to get like five of some and like twenty or fifteen of another. And once you do that, it stops tracking them. So, I, I consider that a complete when you complete your entire mission log. See, like that—that that kind of illustrates my point. For games like Mass Effect, like that's the the whole collection and 100 anything is just like ancillary to experiencing the story and the RPG mechanics. Whereas, like in a game like Mario or Banjo Kazooie, like that's the whole point to collect stuff. So it's right. just it feeds more into the the main loop of the game. It's just an extension of the main loop of the game to 100% everything. That's why I went out to 100% Spyro Year of the Dragon was because they were just parts of this game I've been playing since I was like seven years old that I had never seen before. Like a a big, you know, a a large amount of content that I've just not seen. And like there were huge 100% completion rewards. Like there was a whole bonus world that you unlock when you uh, 100% it. And I know Mario games have done that before and cool secrets you unlock and i think that's all very cool i know um mario 64 i think the only measure of which you can 100 percent the game is just collecting all the stars right and i think like just watching and learning about the speed running community for that like people have gotten so efficient at 100 percenting that game it's scary it's almost robotic like every input is like so precise like to the frame and People can, I think people can run through and collect all of those stars in less than two hours. And there's like, what, 120? Yeah. Which is uh, just an amazing accomplishment. Super Mario 64 is not a particularly hard game to 100%, though. I actually did that as a kid. Just because, like, if you sit down and, like, want to go through all the worlds in order. Right. Like, especially because really the star, it. like, jumping into the world, it tells you kind of how to get the star. Or right. There's no, like, it. blind collecting. Spyro had a lot of blind collecting where, like, you know, you know that there are gems left in this world. You have literally no hints at all. You have to find them. Oh, another game I 100% was Jack and Daxter, the first one. Oh, wow. That was probably a big undertaking. Uh, I remember doing it. I actually remember doing it twice. Once as a kid and once as like a high schooler. Yeah, hmm. it was it was fun. So the current record, like speedrunning for 120 stars of Super Mario 64 is actually... One hour, 39 minutes. That's yeah. so fast. That's unreal, yeah. I mean, I think I played Mario 64 for over a year straight. That was the first game I ever had. And I just played it and played it and played it. And I had, I never collected all the stars in the game. So, you know what I really don't like? It's games that, like, have bogus 100% completion requirements. Like, Super Mario Galaxy 
you have to play through the entire game exactly the same a second time, but as Luigi, and nothing's changed. Yeah, that's... that's uh, and I did it. <laughs> of course. Uh, the sec- In my defense, the second time was much faster. I knew how to do everything. It only took me like a couple days, I think. Whereas the first time through took me like a year. But still. But did you get anything for 100%ing it? Or was it just like a you, good job thing? You get a bonus level that's literally just the like tutorial segment of the game. But you can walk around and do whatever. <laughs> that's kind of dumb. Yeah, I don't think it's worth it. Uh, which makes me think like, do you guys know of any 100% rewards that are really cool? Because I think that's a hard thing yeah, to I don't, do. Cause honestly, like, no. Like, cause I, somebody, I, like, like in my mind, when somebody 100%'s... If I'm developing a game, when somebody 100%s my game, what I want to do, like the reward they clearly want is more game. But if I give that to them, they haven't 100%ed the game anymore. So that's not like a viable thing to do. I think the type of player that's willing to 100% a game, like I more often than not, I don't think they're looking for a reward. I think that is the reward just to conquer the game completely. Yeah, I think like so the, I don't think someone's 100%ed a game expecting something amazing. I mean, it's nice though. Like, I, I don't want to like spoil a cool anything. Easter, this. Like a cool Easter egg or something is the most I would hope for. Yeah, you get that in Super Mario Odyssey. You get a neat little Easter egg. I'm not going to spoil it. Like in Jack and Daxter, I, uh, if you collect all the power cells and beat the game, like the ending cutscene is literally different, and it like it foreshadows and sets up the sequel to the game, and you just don't get that if you don't have all the power cells. So I remember that was a pretty cool reward. I hate it when I hundred percent a game and like nothing happens i don't like that but like something small is nice like like uh what was it in mario 64 you got to ride around on yoshi right no you get to talk to yoshi you get a higher jump and you get a wing cap for the castle oh okay i didn't i actually didn't know that and that was a really good reward in my opinion you also get 99 lives like i love it i hate it when games you know their 100 percent reward is this ultimate item that will help you beat the game better like yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah, that's pointless. It like defeats the purpose. Like I kind of hate. Um, this isn't a hundred percent per se, but like getting the master cycle in Breath of the Wild. By the time you get it, you don't really have any reason to use it anymore. Yeah, like, I thought the master sword was placed excellently in that game. Like you get it, and then like you, you know you're probably about halfway through the game. You know you've got time to use it. Also, um, for Breath of the Wild, I think the reward for getting all of the shrines, like, that's something I want to do. See, I actually disagree a little bit because, um, I mean, I did it. I got all the shrines and, uh, I have the reward, but like, it's not, it's the, the tunic of the wild is not upgradable at all. Like, oh, is it not? That's no, awful. No. Yeah. So you never would wear it. It's just not useful. It's just to look like. Yeah, classic it, and it has really bad stats. It's like three defense, and it has no bonus. So, like a little bonus, like infinite stamina for having that would have been cool. Like, why couldn't they have just made that upgradable? Why did you tell me that? Now I don't want to finish the shrines. Yeah, it's just stupid. Yeah, like because obviously I wanted more games. So if they gave me this reward, and then like, oh, I could like pinch out a little bit more content by upgrading it. Like, yeah. Defeating Ganon wearing that tunic was actually somewhat difficult where I couldn't upgrade it. But yeah, I think um, I, I'm kind of against the whole like give them a bonus level that has more more game in it at the very end. Because then like that's more like an obligation kind of like yeah, you haven't really 100%ed it because you have to do this now. And then like I expect a reward for completing that. 
and it kind of is a bad loop. It's kind of recursive. You get stuck in. But yeah, like, I think a really cool Easter egg that, or just like a really or neat like thing, like something small. I think like, is the way like to a go. Crash yeah, like but something small, gameplay related, like a weapon or something. Yeah. Like, and a good example of a hundred percent actually mattering is the first three Crash Bandicoot games. I think third one had this, where if you actually got everything in the game and completed the game, you'd actually get the real ending. Yeah, I think that's good. Like that's um, Perspectrum has a bonus ending if you hundred percent it, and that was our, that was the the road we took. Yeah, but in in on that route, you got to be careful because if the true ending or whatever is too spectacular, customers will kind of feel ripped off. I think. I mean, they can just look it up. They can. Yeah, that's true. You know, and I I I feel like I thought you were gonna go with that like hazy water with like you know sequels which ending is canon and i i don't really think that that's too big i of a think deal. in crash bandicoot the secret the secret ending in quotes is actually the canon ending because i think the game basically tells you now get everything and beat it again to get the real ending yeah that's what i do in perspective i'm not sure too many people are worried about the crash bandicoot canon though yeah i don't think they are either but i i enjoy 100 a game i think it's a valuable I'm at least yeah. part of the market that likes to do it. I, I agree with you, but only for certain types of games. There are certain like, I think I think platformers more than anything. Like, I know people that have 100%ed Skyrim, and that's a bit much. That, that just kind of blows my mind. There's not as much content to it as you think. Skyrim is not as big a game as everybody thinks it is. <laughs> I mean, I guess it was at the time, and that's yeah. why that perception is stuck with us. Yeah. But Maybe like, 100%ing The Witcher 3 would be... The equivalent today that'd just be like mind-boggling maybe but i you know i have some friends who play a lot of video games and don't have a lot of money and you know 100 is big among that crowd i don't what i don't like is like doom 2016 to 100 that game like there's a bunch of stupid collectibles to find and i think the collectibles are cool see that's what gets me like i don't want like 12 different collectibles that serve no purpose, you know, that are completely ancillary to what I'm doing. Yeah. Like, like I don't even think they're that good in the new Spider-Man game, like the backpacks or whatever you they're, find. They're, they're all, so for Spider-Man, all of the collectibles serve into upgrading your gear, but, but I mean, that's fine. But like, I think the problem is that there's way too many different kinds of collectibles that just all do the same thing. And it gets kind of tedious. In Saints Row 4, there's something like, I don't even remember what they're called, but they're these, they're these like balls you grab and they're just sitting on rooftops all over the city and they're just in plain view. Like there's nothing fun about getting them. You just walk into them and they're like sitting on a roof. They're not defended by enemies. There's no gameplay there. And there's like to, to 100% that game, you'd have to collect, I, I want to say thousands of these. Like, I think it's, no, hold on, let me check. I think it's like It's a, a lot. I might be overestimating how big Steelport is. I think uh, I think who did it right, where you have to like collect a bunch of collectibles in an open environment, uh, is Nintendo with Mario Odyssey. Like all of those moons, they're they're kind of an open ish area. Open, I want to say open world per se, but yeah, open enough. And you know they're all like well designed, hard to get. And even and, the moons that I didn't feel like were that good, like it wasn't that big a deal because I like there was some content there. There was a little puzzle. I felt good about getting it. I wanted to get more. Yeah. 
I think I would feel worse about it if I had saved like all the ground pound the ground at this specific spot. Like if I had saved all those moons until the end, I think I would feel worse because there's a lot of those and they're not that good. Mm-hmm. But like where they were interspersed throughout my playthrough, they didn't bother me because I just wasn't, you know, I wasn't counting them really. I was just like, oh, that was an easy moon on to the next. Yeah. I think if I'd ended on one of those, I'd be a little sad about it. I'm actually, you know, checking how many glyphs or whatever they were called were in um, Saints Row 4. Uh, it's 1,022, I think. Clusters. There are, yeah. That's... Oh, no, it's, it's 1388. 1255 is what I got in Saints Row 4. <laughs> awesome. So there's not a Saints consensus on how many collectibles are in Saints Row 4. Well, the consensus is over 1,000, which is way too many. Yeah. And they're just not fun to get. Like, you know, if they were fun to get, having thousands of them would be great, but they're not. I was just going to say, I think when you start approaching four digits for collectibles, you might want to start rethinking how you want to put that in your game. Like, it's just... No matter how well it's designed, it's going to start feeling repetitive after a while. Like the fact that I they're think. easy to get really makes them feel less uh, repetitive to me, because you know you can just kind of do it on your way to an objective. It's like, oh, I see a, gl- a cluster there. I'm gonna grab it and continue on my way. Yeah, but it, it just felt like a chore to me. Like it didn't. There was no fun to it. It was just like something taking me out of the game. I mean, you got some cool, cool power upgrades off of it, so... You see, I didn't like that either, because I thought the game was already too easy. <laughs> That's why I limited myself to certain guns, just to make it hard. Like, when I used only the... Yeah, like, collecting... Dubstep gun. Collecting these power-ups made you more powerful, which made the game easier, and, as a consequence, less fun. Saints Row 3 was easy, too. Saints Row 3 was easy, but its pacing was good enough that it never really bothered me how easy it was. Like, towards the end, when I was respect level 30, I just kind of was immune to bullets, and the game became a cakewalk. Yeah, I never did that. I I avoided those upgrades in particular, which I guess, if you have to do that sort of thing, there's something wrong with the design of the game. But that's another topic altogether. Our last topic today is going to kind of touch on something we've talked before, but I think is... Still relevant, and perhaps more so, um, and that is emulation. And uh, actually, Mike, uh, you brought this to our attention and wanted to talk about it. Um, I think talking about it now is especially salient with how Nintendo seems to be doubling down on crushing ROMs and just removing all of their content from the internet, and which really puts like the whole like preservation of old Nintendo games at real jeopardy because. We're running out of ways to really experience those old games again unless Nintendo puts them back out. But yeah, I kind of wanted to just bring up emulation again. So, Mike? The way Nintendo, you know, they release old NES games, but, you know, the fact that they've been available for free on the internet for the last, like, 20 years and Nintendo didn't really care about them until they could release it on the Switch for five bucks and make maybe money off of it because I don't think anyone's going to buy Ice Climbers for five dollars. I mean, I'm saying they're five dollars, Mike. Uh, hold on. I'm pretty sure Ice Climbers is like five bucks in this shop. No, so when you on Nintendo Switch, you pay a subscription for Nintendo Online, and uh, you get access to a bunch of NES games, and it's like twenty bucks a year. But yeah, I think that's why um, Nintendo 
started cracking down because they really want to start investing in the Switch Online NES service that they're providing. And, and it's I, just bad. I, I totally, yeah, I mean, that's a topic for another time. But I think their mentality is like, they're slowly going to be exposing more of these old games through their Switch service over time. And they kind of want to, in order to get people more interested in that, they want to cut off other avenues for getting those games. So Ice Climbers is available on the Nintendo DS for a total of $5. So my my issue with it is like a lot of these games aren't available. Like yeah. I want Donkey Kong Country Returns for the Wii. There's no way for me to pay Nintendo for this game. Currently. I think Nintendo subscribes to the same philosophy as Disney where Disney like "Quote unquote vaults some of their movies after they come out. Are you guys familiar with this? Yeah, the Disney yeah. vault when they throw something. Yeah, in so like they'll just arbitrarily like if you don't buy it on DVD when it first comes out or don't catch it in theaters, you might not be able to get it legally for the next decade or so until they see fit to release it. Um, and I think I, Nintendo treats their properties in the same way. And that's an absurd business model to me. Like I, I miss Donkey Kong Country Returns. If they released it on Switch for sixty dollars, I would pay that. However, they have not done that. I'm not going to buy the inferior 3DS version because I want to have it on a big screen, 60 frames per second. I, you know, give me a way to do that. It's very frustrating that I can't play that game. Like, and I can't, I've looked like they have, they have very effectively scrubbed the internet of a lot of games. Like to play Pokemon Crystal right now, you got to have to buy it for $10 on the Nintendo 3DS. I could go to like a bargain bin and like a flea market and get it for like four bucks. I really wanted. To and going to the bargain bin flea market is literally, as far as Nintendo is concerned, the same as piracy. Yeah. Because they're not seeing that money. I'm not gonna so, pay ten dollars for Pokemon Crystal. I was uh, vehemently against when they re-released Red and Blue with no, you know, any major. Yeah, no improvements. Yeah. They just released it for like how much was it? It was absurdly high for a game that's 20 years old. I was just going to say, I really don't understand what the point of gating like some of their games or like just taking some of their games away for a while serves. I don't know. Maybe they want people to get excited for it again or something. But I think they in, in the long run, they would just make more money if they had, you know, 80 to 90 percent of those games in some kind of retro eShop that people could just buy at their whim. I'm I'm sure they would make a lot of money that way. Yeah. Um yeah, I think I think there's some substance to like trickling them out cuz there are people who will buy like all of them as they come out but wouldn't buy them if they were all released at once. But like months is too long. Like if you you know, like especially for games nobody cares about. Like most of the NES collection on the Switch I just can't imagine anyone cares about. Like, the big hitters are Legend of Zelda, Super Mario Bros., Super Mario Bros. 3. I mean, I like, in my ideal scenario, they would put all of those games on the eShop for, like, less than $5 a piece. Because that's what they're and, worth. Yeah, and then like, I could maybe see it them being justified. I mean, they absolutely are justified in taking down the ROMs. It's their property. But, like, yeah. it'd be less of a jerk move, I guess, to longtime fans of those old games if they were all available for cheap you know instead of just not being available online and not being available through their services just no access whatsoever which seems to be what nintendo wants honestly if nintendo released like 
an NES or SNES game every week or two for three bucks, I'd buy most of them. Probably three bucks isn't money. Like, yeah, and that's a, that's I'm a, I'm I'm not a businessman, but that makes sense to me, and it baffles me as to why Nintendo doesn't do that. Yeah, getting that kind of volume sales on games with zero development cost because you made them twenty years ago, like. But my feeling, Nintendo's just you know, because they're a Japanese company, and Japanese has a different business mindset than America, as it's wont to do when you go to another culture. They're very retro inspired. Like you go to Japan, the PS2 or the PS1 in Japan wasn't discontinued until like two thousand something. Like, it was well into the next generation when it was discontinued. But, I don't know, like, when, when you mention PlayStation, I feel like PlayStation does a much better job of preserving a lot of their retro games. Like, there's so many PS1 games you can play on Vita, and there's so many, and, and they're adding more and more PS2 games to PS4 as well. I mean, granted, it's not a significant portion, but it's a lot more than Nintendo. Right, whereas Nintendo's solution is to do... For their console that didn't sell well, they do $60 re-releases of these games on the Switch. $60 ports. Yeah, it's... it's That come out five years later, you know? I don't know how old Tropical Freeze was, but it was kind of weird that they charged it was It was less than five one. years, I think. Okay. Yeah. So the Famicom in Japan was actually just, like, the original NES was discontinued in September 2003. This is a wow. console that was released in the 80s. This was well into, like, two, three generations later. Like, Japan yeah, that's crazy, especially because... really holds on to their retro games for a long, long time. Yeah, in, in the U.S., at least, it seems like we move on a lot faster. Like, after a new console comes out, like, I would say three to four years tops, and, like, no one's playing yeah. the old console anymore. It's two months until people are, like, why are people... Like, people are asking why games yeah, are still right. being made for the old console. But yeah, I don't know. Like to an extent, I kind of get remastering newish games. Like Tropical Freeze, yeah, it came out on a not so popular console. They wanted to get it into more people's hands, so they put it out in a slightly polished up format. I kind of get that. What I don't get is kind of the opposite of that. Like for the really really old games that some of these sem- like Nintendo's history is so rich. Some of their games are so seminal that they literally laid the foundation upon which all of gaming was built. And a lot of newer gamers will never get to experience these games because Nintendo, because they just don't want them to, I guess. I mean, they could easily charge for, you know, Super Mario Bros. 3 or something like that, like games of that caliber for less than $5 a pop. And I feel like they would sell just fine, like all the time. Yeah, I agree. I would pay that much to be able to play Super Mario Bros. 3 on my Switch for sure. But I'm not, I'm, I'm protesting Nintendo yeah. online at this but point. I, I, I I mean, I looked into some of these, uh, like some of the legal speak Nintendo put down when they took when they issued like the takedown order on these emulation sites, and it was a little absurd. Like, I think one of the numbers floating around was like around a hundred thousand dollars per Nintendo game that per Nintendo ROM that was listed on one of these sites. Like, they demanded that in like for some kind of like reparation fee or something like that. And I'm just like, guys, come on. Like, it's just a little silly to me. And I get it. Legally, they are right. But still, like, do you really want to alienate and anger your customers like that? It's hypocritical of them, kind of in a way. Because they don't crack down on used games at all. No one does. And then when emulation comes up, it's pretty much just getting going and buying a used game. Except you're not giving your money to GameStop. You're giving your money to nowhere. 
emulation is basically just used games. I mean, if they really, really want is. to make money off of those games, then make them available yeah. to buy. They won't even do that. I don't get it. It really doesn't make any sense. There are so sense. many games that you can't get anymore because the license expired, so they can't sell it. And like the fact that you, they couldn't even expand upon things like um, um, the NES and SNES Classic. Like they just kind of left a back door open for hackers. Yeah, like imagine if Nintendo announced, like, yeah, it comes with twenty plus, you know, pre-installed games, and maybe for a yearly subscription fee, we'll add 10 games every year to that or something. Like, people would jump all over that, I feel. Oh, yeah. I also, um, this is kind of a niche one, but um, I believe the Deadpool game and the Scott Pilgrim vs. the World game. Yeah, they're no longer available. Yeah, because of licensing issues. The only way you could possibly get those games is through emulation now. And piracy. Because nobody can sell them, and they were digital releases. Interesting. There's, yeah. Yeah, that's a very unique situation. So... I'm fortunate enough I have the Scott Pilgrim game, which is So what uh, happened with that? Did the studio like close down or something? No, it's a music thing, it's I think. Music licensing. Oh. Yeah, music okay. licensing. They don't have the license for the music anymore, so they can't sell it. That the happens game. with a lot of games. Like eventually Rockstar is going to lose a license for their GTA series or GTA games. And then those mm-hmm. will be pulled off Steam or wherever they are. I'm sure by then they'll have already made their tens of billions. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Grand Theft Auto is like the highest grossing game of all time. Grand Theft Auto highest Auto. grossing media product of all time. Yeah, so it's, they're not worried about it. It's the gaming historians that are worried about right. it. And like I, I said that kind of sarcastically because it's like a weird thing to say. I mean, like there are it yeah, is what they're games doing. are like, going to have a history. They already have a history in their young lifespan. Like a lot of these classic games, like that's why all these uh, Nintendo fans are fighting so hard with Nintendo on this because they don't want these older Nintendo games to be, you know, lost or inaccessible. And Nintendo doesn't have ROMs of some of these games just sitting around. Like, they were able to tell the source of one of the um, virtual console ROMs on the, uh, I think it was the Wii, and it was from one of the popular emulation websites that they just recently attacked. Wow. Like, they had just pulled down a ROM and put it up. Yeah. I, I feel like Nintendo must have the ROMs though, right? Like there's no way they didn't have backups or not like, necessarily or something. Storage was expensive back then. Yeah. I, I, it, I would not find it unbelievable that they don't have the source code for a lot of these games, at least. Yeah. Stuff gets lost all the time. Like you'd be surprised there. I think when, uh, there was a company that went to remaster, I think it was crash or something. It was like a remaster. They literally couldn't find the source code. So they just kind of reverse engineered it and created their own source code. See, that's a very terrifying prospect to me because then that introduces the potential of something just straight up being lost forever. And I don't yeah, ever want that right. to happen. No, that's the scary thing. That's why. That's one of the big reasons people want these uh, emulation sites to be safe so much because a lot of these games Nintendo took down, that was the only place they were available. There were things like fan translations and stuff of mother three that's a big one that's unplayable to anyone without that yeah. in the in in english see but that uh, nintendo's defense for that will be that's none of your business because we didn't translate it so that shouldn't exist in the first place but then there's also just a lot of games that like were made by third parties yeah. that didn't do very well that will never get a re-release because they didn't sell well and they're just going to be it just gone. seems like, like i don't know nintendo seems to be very very anti-consumer at times i just don't they need to get especially get these past couple months. Yeah, yeah the whole between Nintendo. Yeah, online the whole Switch Online thing. I think we could we could straight up just do another topic on that sometime. Yeah. We could do a whole episode. Yeah. On yeah. That. Switch Online is just kind of a money grab, but 
we're not gonna get into but, that. Yeah, it absolutely but, is. They're charging for. Nothing. I think. Yeah, I think we should save that for another topic, though, because that's yeah. that's ripe for. Because isn't all their servers anyway? Yeah, their servers are all peer to peer, but like Amit said, we'll we'll save that for another time. Um. Any any final thoughts on emulation? Nope. No. Come on, Nintendo. Get with the times. Be good to your customers. That's all I gotta say. Okay. So, as always, we're going to end by talking about games we've played or games we recommend. Um, do one of you two want to go? Uh, I'll go first, since I already mentioned I've been playing Spyro. Uh, it was a really rewarding game. Uh, Spyro 3 is um, usually uh, considered second best of the original trilogy, I think, by most people. People tend to jump between Spyro 2 and 3 as the best of the trilogy. And you can kind of see in 3 where they're kind of running out of ideas. For what to do. There's like three totally separate skateboarding minigames in Spyro 3. Which is kind of weird. But like it, it's a fun game. I, I 100%ed it. I did all of it. Um, I There were a couple of parts that were kind of grueling. That I didn't really enjoy. But by and large it was a positive experience. I had a lot of fun. It, it controls well. It's a great classic game. Love Insomniac. Uh, Spyro is a good character. Uh, the voice lines hold up in the sense that they're funny to listen to, but they're not cool and they're funny in ways they're not supposed to be. <laughs> like a lot of nineties cartoon mascot games at the time, I feel like. Yeah, but there's like little fun like there's just fun little quirks and stuff. Like there's an entire world in Spyro 3 where everybody talks in haikus. That's kind of cool actually. Yeah, it's just neat. Like the th- the level theming for Spyro 3 I think is really good. There's a lot of levels in it. Uh, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head how many, um, but more than 20, I think. That's a lot, actually, just, for, for... Yeah, for a 3D platformer, platformer. Yeah. yeah. It's quite a few. And they all have, like, six six eggs or something to find, and six to nine eggs-ish, and, like, hundreds of gems. And a lot of times you, like... they're uh, This is the first time in Spire's history you had other playable characters. And they're all pretty terrible and unenjoyable to play as, but there's some nice variety, at least. They make you appreciate the Spyro sections more. <laughs> right. Hey, the kangaroo portions were actually... I am not a fan of them. The jumping is weird. Like, I don't know how they got the jump so right on Spyro, but then the animal that do- that is, like, known for jumping, the jump was bad on. But, like, the controls for Sheila the kangaroo, like, you can't get any movement in the air. You, you have no control. Like, once you leave the ground, you can't control your jump anymore, and it's kind of weird. But anyway, I give it a 7 out of 10. It's pretty good. Seems like you give most games a 7 out of 10 pretty good. Yeah, that's fair. I, I probably do. I I mean, I play a lot of games that are just a little above average, and 6 and 7 out of 10 is where those yeah. go. I, I wouldn't 100% a 6 out of 10 game. There's no way. But All right. Uh, Michael? So I've been playing... I don't think I've talked about this one. Have I talked about Slime Rancher yet? I don't think, I don't so. think so either. I, I, I'm interested in okay. Slime Rancher. I've never gotten the chance to play it. Oh, I haven't played it in a while, but when I last played it, it was just about to release, and that was about like a month ago. It might have been a year ago. I don't remember. <laughs> but it's a fun little like first-person Stardew Valley Harvest Moon kind of game where you go out, find some slimes, throw them on your farm, take care of them. It's very relaxing in a way. But it has this very unique aesthetic about it where everything looks cute, even when it's about to gnaw your face off or giving you very terrible (laughs) radiation poisoning or exploding 
or uh, quantum uh, super positioning self out of your uh, farm. What is happening in is this game? Is that actually what's happening, or, or is it buggy? No, it's it's actually what happened. There are quantum slimes, and they will quantum superposition their way out if they are not fed properly. I could go back to my farm, and I forget to feed them, and they will be on the other end of the farm, currently eating other things that they shouldn't be eating and killing all my slimes, because they become tars. Overall, though, I haven't played it in so long that I really want to get back into it, because they've added a good bit since release. But really, the game is just zen. You go out, you farm, you grab some slimes, you throw them in a pen. Seems kind of cruel to me. You go off, do some other things. Is it like procedurally generated, or would it be the same for every playthrough? I think it's the same for every playthrough. Like, you could trace the spawn locations of the slimes to a general area. Okay. Because the the entire world is all handmade, so it looks real cool. Like, there's a whole ruin section that's really fun to explore. But Okay. It's a lot of fun to play. Okay, cool. Okay, I'll go last. Please don't strangle me when I say this, but I have been playing Destiny 2 Forsaken. I've been playing Destiny 2 like a madman, actually. Like, that's pretty much all I've been playing for the past couple weeks. And I know I manhandled Bungie, like, last year when Destiny 2 was kind of... When Destiny 2 sort of fell off a cliff in terms of quality and support, it seemed almost unsalvageable. But the same sort of thing happened with Destiny 1 when the first major expansion came out, which for Destiny 1 was the Taken King, for Destiny 2 it's Forsaken. When that expansion hit, everything seemed to resolve and suddenly there was a ton of meaningful content to do and suddenly the gameplay was just better. Uh, Same thing happened. Um, So campaign is very interesting. Lots of interesting lore, more so than the actual story in the campaign, but such interest, interesting context and foreshadowing for events to come in the Destiny universe. New game modes and areas added. Uh, my favorite new game mode added was is, is is something called Gambit, and it is a sort of PvPVE mode. So two different teams uh, basically participate in a PVE activity, and basically they farm these collectible things as fast as they can. And every so often, you have the opportunity to send one of your players over to the other team's map and potentially kill them, kill the opposing team, and set them behind. And so that it really creates an interesting, like, strategic dynamic of, like, okay, should I be helping my team now, or should I go and invade the other team and set them back? And it's it's a lot of fun. It creates a lot of, like, tense situations that, that require, that like, really lots cool. of teamwork to overcome. And I'm a huge fan of it, actually. I'm not one for like too much multiplayer leaning content, but I'm so about Gambit. I love playing that mode. Lots of interesting new like weapons and armor and new exotics they've added to the game that just make you feel extremely powerful and make the grind feel worth it again. And uh, more than anything, the new raid they added to the game, I have not yet attempted it, but I've watched a stream of it. I think it's the hardest piece of content Bungie has ever created. Um, just watching this raid for the first time, the first, the world's first completion, uh, it took the first team in the world to beat it 18 hours to complete. And there were only two teams, I believe, in the entire world that finished the raid in less than 24 hours. And that says a lot. Wow. And it's just, it just speaks to like the level of communication and teamwork required for this raid 
is unlike anything I've seen before in pretty much any game. You have to be completely coordinated and in sync with each other to succeed. If even one person messes up, it pretty much it messes the whole encounter up, and you basically have to start the encounter over. It it is the pinnacle of like team based play, and I was super impressed by it when I when I watched it. And I would love to attempt it someday soon with uh, my own clan when we all get to the appropriate level, which we are not at yet because. It is a very difficult raid, but anyway, yeah, Destiny 2 Forsaken, super into it. Uh, it's a lot of fun, which I didn't think I would say that about Destiny 2 again, but here I am. Yeah, if you'd have asked me, like, even a couple months ago, if you would have ever said anything nice about Destiny 2, I would have yeah. laughed. I mean, Bungie seems to be good at pulling this game back from the brink. But yeah, I think that's going to do it for us this week. Um, a note before we go... Michael here is actually leaving us to join the Navy here in a few days, and he will be gone for the foreseeable future. So, Mike, I think we can I can speak for everyone when I say uh, good luck and uh, thank you for serving our country. And we are going to miss you. I won't be gone that long. I'm only been gone for like two months before I you know, get access to the Internet again. OK, well, that kind of invalidates the dramatic speech I just made. <laughs> Uh, no, don't worry. That's two months. It'll be, it'll be rough. I'll have somewhere for all. But yeah, I guess, Mike, just let us know when you're back and you can pick up right where you left off. Yeah. All right. See you guys next week. Bye.